Well, I'm really excited because we're going to be starting a new series, and who likes new stuff? Yeah, I always like new stuff. I like change, so we've got a new series, and we're calling this series Foundations. Uh, we want to look at the foundations of who we are as people, as church. We're going to look at the foundations for the kingdom, our mission in extending God's kingdom so that his glory fills the earth. That's kind of a big series title, isn't it? And it sounds a lot like our Jubilee vision. Do you see these new boards here? Beautiful Jubilee vision. It's about building a community of people who know who they are, who know what they've got, and who know what they're called to do. So this series is going to be a useful reminder of that too. And of course our vision isn't just about the church here. It's also about those who don't know Jesus yet. It's about people everywhere coming to Jesus and finding their purpose in him too. Now our series is going to be based in the book of Ephesians. If you want to turn to Ephesians, we're going to use Ephesians as a kind of a launch pad for all kinds of things that we want to talk about. And I'm going to start today talking about our personal foundations, our identity in Christ. And this is such a crucial theme for us when there's so much confusion over issues of personal identity today. I mean, do you know who you are? <laughs> who are we? Uh, do I know who I am? You know, ask most people who they are and they'll tell you what they do. They'll say, well, I'm a teacher or I'm a nurse, I'm a father, I'm a mother. But these things don't define us or say anything about who we are as people. Others find their identity in their sexual orientation. And they'll say, well, this is who I am. And this, is, this can be hard because if you question their choices, you reject them as people, which can only be true if you really are identified by what we do or what we don't do. And more recently, identity has become an issue of gender and the right to choose how you want to be known, whether this is biological, physical, or even the, gen or even the, the genetic implications. Whatever that choice might be, it's called self-identifying, self-social identification. I fit better with that group than the one I've been assigned to. This is who I am. And all of these things go to show us that identity, knowing who we are as people, is still as important today as it's ever been. People need to know who they are because from this knowledge comes purpose and meaning. And identity was extremely important to Paul too, writing some 2,000 years ago. And the book of Ephesians starts with this great outpouring of revelation about a new identity God has purposed in Christ for every believer. An identity in him that is more significant than our job, family, community, nationality, sex, or sexual orientation, and it changes everything because we become new people. In Christ, we're given a new name, a new nationality, a new destiny, a new inheritance, a new position, and the full implications of which Paul says in chapter 2 is going to take the whole of eternity to get our heads around. So whether this is the first time you've heard this, 
or it's the 110th time, there's still more revelation for you to get about the full extent of what Christ has done. So let me pray for the spirit of revelation, because that's what Paul says we're going to need. He says you're going to need a spirit of revelation to understand this. I'm just going to pray for us briefly. So Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of revelation. And Lord, we just pray, will you come and bomb us with truth, love bombs of truth, to bring freedom, recognition, and revelation to the whole church in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to read to you from uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, and I want you to do something for me. I want you to count how many times it says, in Christ, or in him. So here we go. Verse 3, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having Believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And he's the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. And there's no, uh, there's no full stops and there's no commas in the original. So I tried to do that in one breath, but not quite. But did you notice how many times... In Christ, how many times did you get in him, in Christ? Well, I reckon eight times. In Christ, in him, in Christ, in him, eight times, in Christ. This is our new location. This is our new address. This is our new domain. It says in Colossians that we've been rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his son. It's a new position in God. We're no longer condemned. We're no longer lost. We are found in Christ. And this is what it means to be saved. It's what it means to be a Christian, a believer, a follower of Jesus in Christ. That's what that phrase means. So that whenever you hear that phrase, you know who Paul is talking about. You know what he is talking about. He's talking about quite a number of us, the people of God, every believer who has made Christ the place of their habitation in Christ. In Christ is the foundation 
of our new identity. Understanding what this means is foundational because it's from this new place of occupation where all the other attributes of the perfect life of Christ are discovered and experienced. And when we know it, we get to live it out. And it's in that place, in that new location, where every spiritual blessing is found. Peace, love, joy, power, contentment, so that all that is in Christ, all that we know of him, all that we see in him, is now available, now possible in us. Whoa! <laughs> in that new location, it's where we can know the acceptance of his choosing. Say, I'm accepted. I'm accepted. It's where, quite incredibly, we are found judiciously to be holy and blameless in his sight. Literally, that, may, that means that we are made as if we have never sinned. Imagine that. That's what it means to be born again, to be justified by grace. In this new position, we are redeemed. The debt of sin has been paid by the blood of Christ. The chains of our slavery to sin is broken. We're forgiven. I don't know, have you ever worried about, is there enough grace to forgive me again this time? He says, we're forgiven according to the measure of the riches of his grace that is lavished on us. He's totally extravagant, verse 7 and 8. In him, he says, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, meaning that our salvation and inheritance is guaranteed. We're eternally secure in Christ. We know both where we're going, but also where we're seated in the heavenly realms in Christ. That's Ephesians 2.6. I've just touched on it. All these things that even now are ours in Christ. And there's nothing that we've done to deserve it. There's nothing that we can do to acquire it. It's already been done. It's all been given to us freely by grace through faith. In fact, there's only one thing that we needed to do to be given all of it. Believe. We receive this inheritance through the death of Jesus by faith. So verse 13 says, you were included in Christ, in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, were. Notice the past tense that Paul uses. It's already happened. God did it for us. He put us in Christ when we first believed. Our salvation and all that comes out of it is, an, is a historical event. The price has already been paid. It's in the bank. We just need to cash the check to live in the good of all that Christ has done and all that he has won. And this is our current position. This is our location. And it's where our new identity is founded and now comes from. So that all that is in Christ is now in us as we are in Christ. I'm in Christ. I'm, I'm a believer. I am a Christian. I'm, I'm united with him. That's where I am right now. Say that with me. I'm in Christ. I'm a believer 
and I inherit all that is in Christ in me. So who are you? What's the question I started with? Well, your identity is no longer about what you've done or what you do or what you can do. The foundation of your new identity starts with this. I'm in Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus. That's where it starts and everything comes from that place of faith. I'm part of the body of Christ here on earth. I have a hope and a future. I'm forgiven. I'm a new person. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. I know who I am and I know where I'm going. I am eternally secure and free. Amen. <laughs> Say it with yourself. Amen. That's it. That's, I've got a resonance there. What you're saying makes sense to me. So having cleared this up, how can we begin then to experience what it means to live out of our new identity in Christ? We're going to come to some of the implications in the coming weeks, but I just want to settle on this bit first. I'm in Christ. I just want us to meditate and mull on that uh, today. In Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to be in Christ? What can I experience of that? truth. It's a strange idea, isn't it? I mean, living inside of somebody else, uh, walking around in their shoes, you've heard that phrase. It sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? In Christ, in him. It, it's like, it's almost like, I've been trying to think of an illustration, but it's almost like I'm wearing a permanent disguise. You know, and you can imagine what that disguise is for you. But it's the kind of disguise that we never take off. Because from the time we start to put on Christ, we grow to be like him. That's amazing. Paul says that our life is hidden in Christ, in God. That means literally we are covered in Christ. My life's hidden there. It reminds me of that rather strange story in the Old Testament, a disguise that Jacob wore in order to gain his father's blessing. Do you remember that story, Jacob and Esau? It's Genesis 25 to 27. I'm not going to turn to it. You can look it up yourself. And it's an imperfect picture, really, but I think it's going to help. Just to remind you, they, they were these twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. Now, Esau was born first, and Jacob came out second, grasping his brother's heel. Esau, because he was the firstborn, had the birthright. And what that meant is that he would get a double inheritance. He would have all the privilege and the position of the firstborn son. Uh, and Jacob wanted it. And so he did a deal with his brother and for the price of a bowl of stew, brought, bought the birthright off of him. But there was another part of the birthright that was harder to get. It was the father's blessing. So you could get all the material stuff, but the spiritual stuff, huh, that was going to be more difficult to get because Jacob wasn't going to be able to persuade his dad about that and, and, and that was the highest honour and 
to lose a blessing was tantamount to a curse. So how was he going to get that? Well, his mum came up with this idea, a plan to steal the blessing. Disguise yourself as your brother Esau. So Jacob then hid himself in Esau. He put on the clothes of Esau so that he smelt like him. He put on the hair of Esau in the form of animal skins so that he felt like him. And his father was blind, so he didn't need to look like him. And so hidden in his disguise, Jacob gained the father's blessing because Esau despised his birthright. Do you see? Now, you'd be glad to know that we don't need to disguise ourselves in smelly clothes or wear dead animal skins to gain our father's favor because our lives are now hidden in Christ in God, where we are blessed already in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so what does this mean? It means that when the Father looks on us, he no longer sees us standing alone. He sees us hidden in the righteousness of Christ, justified in his sight, holy and blameless. And I love this that I heard from Becky Floy a few years ago. Apparently, in some churches in China, they welcome new believers by saying, Jesus now has a new pair of eyes to see with, new ears to listen with, new hands to help with, and a new heart to love others with. Love that. It's beautiful, isn't it? And it's true because when the Father looks upon you, he sees you covered in the skins of the sacrificial lamb. Jesus, you are completely acceptable to him. And so we can come boldly with complete and total assurance, full confidence into his presence because when he looks on us, we are acceptable in his sight. And when we pray, we pray through Christ. He's our intercessor, you see. So when we pray, we use his voice. The Father hears the sound of Jesus in our voices. When we pray in his name, we say, I pray in the name of Jesus. That's in Christ. When I pray from that place, we are heard. And all of heaven responds to the sound, even the groans of our intercession. The favor that Jesus has in that place. In Christ, what power and authority we have when we pray. Oh, I so love before we pray, just to pause and just make sure that I am consciously in Christ, seated in that place, seated in in Christ at the right hand of the Father. That means that if I want to pray, all I've got to do is lean over to the Father and whisper in his ear. Do you know that confidence when you pray? In Christ. When we look, we see with the eyes of Jesus because we're in him, from within him. I wonder if we can learn to look at the world like he does. 
says that when he looked out on the multitudes, that his heart was moved with compassion, and then he acted with power. It's got to be the same for us. You know, when we look on the crowds, when we look on what's happening all around the world, our hearts need to be moved and stirred, and we need to act. And whether it's to pray, or whether it's to give, or whether it's to go, whatever it is, but there's something that happens in our hearts because we're looking with the eyes of Jesus. You know, perhaps I just felt as I was preparing this that there may be some of you, it's time for you to act on some of that compassion. No more just looking, it's time to go. Go and do something about it. It's been stirring you, nagging you long enough. It's time to act, it's time to go. And when we hear, it's with the ears of Christ. And when we think, it's with the mind of Christ. When we feel, we can know what he's feeling. We are truly and practically being made one with him, united with Christ in God. And the work of his spirit in us is to change us so that what we put on, we also become. We begin to grow in that family resemblance starting from our position in Christ to becoming like Christ. How about that for an ambition in life? In Christ to become like Christ. And it seems that in the heavenly realms, I love this, we even smell like Christ to God. There's an expression of Christ emanating through our lives, a scent that can be caught by the world around us. We smell like him. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 15, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. Why don't you say that to yourself? I am to God a pleasing aroma. I smell good. pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. You smell good to God and you bring a beautiful fragrance wherever you go in the world. That's you. That's us. That's the church. Salt and light and you smell really good. And this is because not only are we in Christ, he's also in us. Isn't that beautiful, being baptized into Christ so that not only am I covered and I'm saturated in him, he saturates us. We get saturated with his presence and we smell good. He's also in us and Christ in us is the hope of glory and we carry his fragrance wherever we go. But especially to those who don't know him yet. Those who are without Christ. Did you know that you are the hope of the world? Because Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And so I just want to finish with this thought, really. Do you remember what it's like to be without Christ, Christian? This has really been challenging me recently because I don't actually remember. I see the effects all around me of what it's like to be without Christ, the hopelessness, the darkness, the despair. But I don't personally remember what it was like 
Paul starts his chapter one of this great pouring of celebration and hope for who we are now in Christ. But in chapter two, he reminds us it wasn't always that way. In chapter two, verses one to three, Paul tells us what it used to be like for all of us and what it's still like for so many of our families, our friends, our neighbors, and our co-workers. Even now, so many people who are living without Christ. Do you remember what it was like? Remember, this is what it was like, Paul says, for you, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in, what, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. It's by grace you've been saved. Do you remember? Remember what it was like to be dead to God not to be able to respond to him, not to know his love, not to know peace. Do you remember what it was like to be addicted to sin with no hope of forgiveness, to live without relief from a guilty conscience, to have bad dreams, disturbed thoughts, and because of these things that you've done, you were powerless to stop living in such bondage. Do you remember that? Do you remember what it was like to be dominated by Satan and his demons tormented in darkness at the mercy of vile, accusing voices inducing you to commit evil, powerless, fearful, desperate. Do you realize how many people are affected by these things? We were at a restaurant, some of you have heard this before, a couple of years ago, and the manager came up and knew we were Christians. He said, what do you do about demons in your house? How do you get rid of them? They torment my children, and I don't know how to get rid of them. <laughs> People are experiencing these things. Last week, um, our friends in Leicester, remember Matt, who came and spoke a while ago, they did a fun day in the park over the summer. And a young couple turned up, at, most of it was just bouncy castles and fun, but they just had a little area set aside for a prayer tent. And a young couple turned up at that tent and asked for help because they had evil spirits in their home playing havoc, frightening them, turning lights on and off, causing accidents. And they were able to pray with this couple and lead them to Jesus. So you go home now as new people and you command these things to go because Jesus has given you authority. I don't know what the end of the story is yet, but that was... What happened last week? Do you remember this? Does any of this sound familiar? Is, is any of this going on for you now? Is it, is it your experience now? Because there's an opportunity, if you don't know Jesus, to come to know him today. 
in Christ. Get in that place of safety, being covered by him, knowing his peace, knowing his grace, knowing forgiveness, knowing his mercy. It's the most wonderful place to be. Or maybe some of your friends need to know this. I love this. Paul says, remember what it was like, and then he says in verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive. Because of his great love for us. Who else needs to know this? And that's where I want to finish today. I want to ask you, who else needs to hear this? You know, we can celebrate our own salvation. I feel really tempted to just focus in on that. We're going to do that in the coming weeks, I'm sure. But who else needs to hear this? Who else of your family, your friends, your co-workers need to hear the good news that's in Jesus? And who is going to tell them? Because not only are you in Christ, Christ is also in you and he is the hope of glory. As for you, you were dead. There isn't a single person in this room who that doesn't apply to. As for you, you were dead. You couldn't hear God. You didn't respond to him. You were dead. And now you've been made alive because of his great love to you. Every one of us have a story of salvation. Every one of us can talk about that moment. For me, I was only four years old. That's why I struggle to remember what happened before then. But I remember coming alive to Jesus. I remember he spoke to me. I remember he told me about my life. I remember he woke me up. Every one of us have a story to tell of salvation. It's a story of resurrection. It's a story of hope. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of a whole new identity in Christ. You know, we can argue all kinds of things about, I don't know, what's it called, apologetics. You can argue apologetics to the end of your life, but nobody can challenge your, your story, your testimony. I don't know who Jesus is, but I know I was dead and now I'm alive. <laughs> I was dead, but now I'm alive, alive to God. Who else needs to hear your story? Your new identity in Christ is a story of transformation that everybody everywhere needs to see and hear. So I quite often talk about how I was paralyzed with anxiety growing up, but since I met Jesus, I just haven't had the same problem with it at all. And that's part of my story. Who's going to argue with that? I now know peace inside since the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me that I never knew before. And that happened when I was 14 years old. What's your story? The Jubilee vision is about building a community of people who know who they are, but that also means you need to know, you need to know who you were to know who you are. And to know what you've got, you need to know what you didn't have. I didn't have this, but now I do. And then you've got to know what you're called to do. You need to tell people your story. Everybody needs to hear your story. So who do you need to tell? I'm going to commission you with the words of Jesus himself. Are you ready for this? Go.
go into all the world and tell good news to everybody everywhere. And here's the promise that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever doesn't, they're going to miss out big time. And these are the signs that are going to accompany you in my name. You'll drive out demons. You'll speak in new tongues. You'll pick up snakes with their hands. You'll go into evil places. Drink deadly poison, but it's not going to hurt you. You're going to place your hands on sick people, and they're going to get well. And then after Jesus said this, he was taken up into heaven, and he was sat down at the right hand of God, which is a place of all authority, all power. And where are you seated? I am seated in Christ at the right hand of God. Say that again. I am seated in Christ at the right hand of God. Again, I am seated in Christ at the right hand of God. One more time. I am seated in Christ at the right hand of God. Holy Spirit, we just come and fill each one of us. I break fear over you in Jesus' name, and I pray for a spirit of boldness to come on the whole church. Jesus, help us remember what it was like to be without you. And help us, Lord, to feel the urgency of telling people what it's like to be with you. Thank you, Jesus. Commission us. You've commissioned us. Now anoint us again to go for your name's sake. Amen.